Hello, and welcome back to How I Survived This, the totally badass and dramatic podcast. We are entering into part two of a two-part conversation with Maya Washington. How do you move on from an injury such as that that comes on seemingly out of nowhere? Um, and what do you do now on a on a daily basis. I know you touched on somatics because I'd love to go into that as well. And I do believe that there's a direct correlation between thought patterns and things that happen to us and how we hold on to them in our bodies. Mm -hmm. But how do you, what's your daily sort of uh, regimen just on a good day to keep your body as somebody who's really in touch with your body, right? Because you started as a dancer first and that will always be within you. But do you have advice for sort of the the grand audience of actors on how to take care of your body and then how specifically, how do you do it with um, sustaining an injury? Mm-hmm. Well, I think like I, I firmly believe and I know like you have to move. And I feel like anyone who's been blessed to like age <laughs> yes. and, and they're like 90 and, and, and they're, you know, can walk and, and, um, and, um, move and, and, and use their body. And I, and I, uh, want to tread carefully, right. Because obviously you can live a, a vibrant and meaningful and wonderful life. If, even if walking isn't part of, um, you know, your, your experience. So I want to make yeah. sure I'm not, you know, being, um, exclusionary, and ableist in, in talking about my specific, you know, uh, injury journey, but it's like, that's what the people who are, who are still with us and moving, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, later in life. And it's the, you know, movement, however you can do it with whatever you have, recognizing that you do have to move every day. Um, I can say during the pandemic, when, when things really slowed down and, um, my parents, um, both have some, uh, you know, medical issues and they're in that, you know, precious category. So I was really, really hardcore about like hunkering down mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, we didn't uh, interact as households, but I was sort of the go-to. Like if anything happened to my parents, like I need to, you know, be healthy to, to be able to go and, and take care of them and, yes. and handle business for them. So um, I, I have had to kind of reclaim that. And certainly, um, with the things that have happened here in, uh, the Twin Cities, uh, with the unrest and just the social and political climate here, well, a lot of trauma, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of physical, emotional and psychological heaviness that, um, yes, that I've, uh, confronted just, just in the past, um, few years. And my sort of go-to on a good day is, um, and, and this is even, even in times where I'm not moving as much because I'm kind of confined or not accessing the gym or in Minnesota, I, I still spend time in LA, but I've spent a lot of time in Minnesota yes. and it's like winter, you know? So in the summer I'm, I'm out, you know, walking and enjoying like nature. I love a good nature walk. I love a good hike. I love, you know, music in my ears. And I'm, you know, I'm that girl who's kind of doesn't care if you see me skipping around in the woods and, and maybe saying hi to trees. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm that, I'm that lady. Um, but in the winter that's like super hard and super painful. So if I'm not like bundling myself up, (laughs) you know, and, and doing that in the snow, it's, you know, time on the treadmill. But the one thing that happens 
consistently. And if it doesn't, I start to feel the effects of it is meditation. Um, and I was always someone who, and I remember one of the things that we did in our acting programs, we had yoga and I just didn't understand the connection, even though, you know, what even was though, her name? I wish I remembered um, her name. Cause Joanne. She was, Joanne. Yeah. And it was at 8 a.m. At 8 a.m. Yoga. It was all, I mean, yeah. At the time, it was awful, it was but awful. I understand. It was why awful. They were, it was awful. It was, it was, it was awful. And it wasn't a great intro um, to uh, yoga. But um, now uh, that I am more mature and I'm just going to put it on myself, even though I don't know that I, we are completely responsible for. <laughs> for our introduction and how that went. But um, I was someone whose mind would be all over the place, the the proverbial monkey brain. I was someone who couldn't get out of my head or, or stop thinking. And um, meditation as a practice that I've uh, really adhered to consistently, I think came to me uh, deliberately in 2019. I went to, mm-hmm. you're going to um, love this. I went I went to like a Kundalini activation uh, yes. <laughs> retreat. I had no clue what I was getting into, only that my friend who invited me um, had done it and his life was like on fire within, you know, like I noticed an, a notable change. Like he was so excited about this. And um, I had that experience. Um, don't know that it was the exact right way that that <laughs> should have unfolded or that I was prepared to understand. But I will say um, it was a very somatic experience for me to release a lot of um, uh, things that I think my body was holding and to feel a lightness and a breath, but a presence in my body that I hadn't ever felt even as a dancer. Mm -hmm. And um, it aligned with the closest I could describe it to is a really important loved one in my family. He was my uh, California parent, um, my cousin Vinny, who lived in Pomona. And it was like all I had really in California as somebody to look out for me when we were in school. Um, he passed away in the summer of 2018. Mm-hmm. And um, I was with him when he passed. I was holding his hand and me and his brother were praying for him uh, as he transitioned. We, uh, you know, just prayed Catholic prayers. Um <laughs> Uh, for for whatever reason in that in that process, um, you don't really know what else to do. So I just start saying Hail Marys, um, and I'm not a hardcore, you know, like super Catholic person. Right. But this was the spiritual tradition that we shared in our Creole heritage, and and he was responding to it. So wow. we we kind of prayed him through. And um, within less than 24 hours, a presence or a feeling or a sensation or a sense of awareness, right, um, was in my physical body. Like, I don't know really how to describe it. It's kind of like the champagne bubbles uh, feeling or that, that, oh, wow. that, that sense of it's a peace, it's an, it's an awareness that kind of came over me. So over a year later, after that really hard thing happened and some other hard things happened, I go to this retreat and I release like <laughs> what oh, felt sure. like, you know, years of, 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 of grief. But I also had some, I'm going to say seemingly prophetic visions about the world, like recalibrating itself and seeing oh, kind God. of all of the good and bad in the world. Like it was really 
trippy. I've never done drugs. I'm not a drug person, <laughs> but you would have thought whatever happened at this, you know, Kundalini thing, um, you would have thought we were all on drugs. Uh, and so what that, what that did, um, was sort of open up a, a connection to my intuition mm-hmm. and a connection just to my physical body, which after that experience, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to meditate. I am going to get, you know, like my, my, my physical self could not get enough of um, being in touch with that life force within myself. With that presence. With that presence. And that wow. being yoga, meditation, um, breath It's work. funny that you say nature too, mm-hmm. because being in touch with nature. And I just cut you off and you said breath work. Yeah. Yep. Same. You know, we all go through trauma. We we come into the world with trauma to a certain degree and um, being in the now of now mm-hmm. is in that present moment, the past is the past and the future hasn't happened yet, but we mm-hmm. tend to be sort of in a, a, a worrying about what will happen or rehashing what has already happened and mm-hmm. that can sort of wreak havoc. Um, oh, I love that. I love that you brought all of this up. It's, yeah. Uh, and it must have been extremely healing. Absolutely. And and to have that experience like literally months before the shutdown. It, and it was so wild because it served me so well during that time. And, Absolutely. And, and to know that there is a place within me that I can go and feel complete and utter safety and peace. Right. And a knowledge and awareness um, that I am connected to all things, all people um, all living uh, creatures to the planet. <laughs> I mean, it gets kind of woo-woo for people who don't know, you know, that that connection. Right. But it's like, I can't remember what it felt like not to know that or, or right. have that um, awareness. How did that impact you moving into the, well, moving into all of the unrest, George Floyd, the protests, and all of it happening basically outside your front door um, on top of the pandemic. So now we're in 2020 and all of that is happening. Uh, how how did that impact you? And And maybe also you could touch on the fact of how maybe your experience in the Kundalini yoga retreat and thus the meditative work helped you to move through that, that, un, that time, that unrest? Mm-hmm. You know, to be completely honest, I'm still unpacking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, I bet. Because, you know, we're three years, uh, we're three years out this coming May, May 25th, um, will be the third anniversary. Um, and so what's, what's kind of wild about it, like I said, I, I feel that I was given a, like a vision and a preparedness um, and, uh, a comfort with, with just speaking what I saw intuitively, right. And not, um, censoring myself too much, uh, especially I think a week before, um, like we shut down, um, there were a a few deaths in my family that were related, you know, my cousin who passed in 2018, my Benny, his brother passed and his brother's wife passed. And I think my friend's mother, you know, it was like all these people were passing and it wasn't related to to COVID, I think, in that 
in that time frame, mm-hmm. but it was just really clear to me because I had had this vision of this recalibration of the earth. Right. And I don't know what got into me, but I went ahead and like made a video. I'm not the type of person who like makes videos of myself and puts them on social media, you know, like just candidly, I'm not a, you know, go live type person, but I was like, you need to understand the earth is recalibrating itself. And, and just how um, now I kind of can make fun of myself a, a bit because it, it was so urgent. And um, I'm saying like, you know, I'm okay, but, but, you know, like people are going to die. This is mm-hmm. going to be very serious. And I had no objective knowledge of this. Like I'm not a, um, I'm epidemiologist. Not a, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but it was really clear. And there was this urgent need for me to uh, speak on this thing that we needed to prepare for ourselves for, uh, this thing we needed to take seriously and to not be afraid, mm-hmm. but to get in touch with our spiritual um, selves and whatever that is. You know, everybody uh, comes from a different uh, background or relationship to the idea of spirituality, but there was this urgency to say you 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 have to go there right now um, to to get through it. And um, so by the time, so uh, what would that have been? You know, like. Uh, early March, early Early March, March, 2020. 2020. Mm -hmm. And um, there were other murders of of unarmed Black people that had happened before um, George Floyd. But weirdly, I was doing a um, like a Zoom. Well, in 2016, I I just want to jump back to that for a second. Absolutely. uh, Right around Philandro uh, Castile, you did um, a poetry. Yes. So Thank you, because because that is an important detail. So, as early as 2015, um, I had worked with a handful of my my friends who are also poets, um, who started uh, an initiative called Black Poets Speak Out, and um, I remember that uh, being um, sparked by Mike Brown's murder, you know, right. in in Ferguson, and. Um, we were all so devastated and as artists and arts activists, our, our, our response um, as the brainchild of, of these other poets, you know, why don't we record ourselves reading poetry and, you know, post to a hashtag, like that's what we were doing, you know, that's right. how we solved problems then. Thank oh, you and for processed, bringing, right? And processed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, processed is, is actually what I meant. Um, and so that's that's sort of what we were doing. And in 2015, you know, we held an event at Penumbra Theater, one of the mm-hmm. you know, like premier black theaters um, in the country and in the Midwest, really important um, space that, you know, opened up their space to us um, so that we could, you know, honor uh, Mike Brown and, 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 and kind of add our voices to the collective support. And then uh, the following year in 2016, it happened again in the Twin Cities in, in St. Anthony um, near St. Paul. And uh, it was um, urgent, you know, that, that the community gather and that artists um, use that as an opportunity to speak and, and to, to uh, lend voice to our pain and to um, the proximity of this. And so I'm really grateful that you went back to 2016 because what soon became apparent to me after 2020 
was that not only uh, Philando Castile, but you would be astounded at the number of unarmed citizens and individuals who have been um, killed by police in the state of Minnesota. Wow. Um, like, like it's, 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 um, I mean, it's jaw dropping uh, yeah. how, how, um, how many people had been affected by this issue and um, Philando Castile in that situation um, you know, his companions in the car and she went live on, on uh, Facebook live. And that's how we came to know about it. And that's how it became so widely known. But um, our community here, especially the black community is pretty small because there, there aren't a ton of us. Um, and it, mm. and it is a major metropolitan area, but we are very much connected and the arts community is very connected. So I did not know, um, Philando or the Castile family, but my friend's children went to, uh, the school where he worked. Um, oh. my friends are friends with his family. Um, I've done arts residencies and, 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 and visited the school. So, um, that for context, thank you for bringing that up, Heather, uh, is sort of, you know, where we enter to May 25th, 2020. And I weirdly was on a, uh, you know, zoom, you know, how everybody was doing like zoom workshops and panels. I was on like a zoom workshop panel that day with, uh, people who had been at this Kundalini thing. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so we had met in that context. They invited me to, you know, participate in in a panel um, discussion. And so I got off the uh, phone and then, you know, I find out about um, George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that happens here is within, uh, you know, hours of, I'm sorry, I'm emotional, but within hours of something like this happening, it's a matter of time before you know who they are. And how you're connected yeah. to them. Yeah. And in this case, I was, you know, one degree separated from Big from Floyd. George. Mm-hmm. Um, so my friend, uh, Maria Isa Perez Vega, who is a um actress, a hip hop artist, um, and now a Minnesota State rep, uh, because of this incident. Because of this. And 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 also uh friends with the Castile family and many um uh people that she knew and loved who have been um killed by police and other forms of, um, you know, community-based violence. Um, and you know, this, this city's on fire and I've always been one of those like level-headed people where like in a crisis, you just, you know, you focus on what needs to be done. Um, which I think is a, is a, a, a trait that, (laughs) uh, a lot of times, you know, is ascribed to women, um, and (laughs) also black women. And in this time, you know, like, our white community was like, so like they were stunned, like completely stunned. We yeah. had think that's why it's so important that you brought that up. We've been carrying this since 2015 right. and from my parents' generation, you know, since Emmett Till, you know, so it's like our sense of, of the danger in the world was true and present with us all the time. All the but time. The ways that white people woke up and even white people in the Twin Cities start pouring into the streets. Um, and so I think some of just like that resilience that I've, I've had because I've had, had to, um, allowed me to kind of move in, into action mode and think about, okay, I mean, unrest was happening, but what, what was being reported on, um, the national news was that, you know, black people are out looting and burning everything down. And so, uh, while, 
community members were rightfully very angry about what happened, there were people from outside of, you know, the state, as well as um, we, we, you know, we have evidence now that, that some people, um, and I don't, I don't want to went in to start, you know, I don't want to state something that, that puts me or you in a weird situation where I'm making a, a, a claim. Um, but, you know, if you research into kind of the true identities of some of the people who started fires and, uh, you know, committed chaos and kind of took advantage of the community grief, mm-hmm. um, that was terrifying for everyone. There were yes. white neighbors finding gasoline cans in their um, in their uh, alleyways. Um, uh, the white supremacists who used that as an opportunity to uh, decide this was their race war and were attacking uh, anyone. Um, one thing that's very common in Minneapolis that one of my uh, friends, um, his spouse had just moved here from like Columbia. And when he got here, he was like, why are there these signs that say Black Lives Matter and all are welcome here? Like this was this was common, you know, in 2018, 2019. And he was like, I don't understand why these people have this in their yard. And it, a lot of white people, you know, ha- mm-hmm. had those things in, in their yards. And so those uh, same families were targets, right? So they'd have their signs destroyed and, and we're starting to uh, see threatening things uh, happening to them. And so there was this awakening to where what you saw in, you know, in the streets and in the communities where, well, uh, you know, white people were pouring out into the streets. Yeah. Um, they were gathering, they were, you know, lifting their voices in new ways. Um, and so uh, navigating that was sort of in some ways like a Tuesday, you know, when you unfortunately have a um, a higher threshold, I guess, for trauma or more exposure in your life, you know, to these kinds of issues. But um, I think it allowed me to uh, the intuitive side, because you said, you know, how did that impact how those things unfolded is I, you know, I, I just paid attention where everything um, seemed to fall into place in a way that I won't say made sense. But when I would find myself in a place and space, it'd be like, oh, yeah, um, that makes sense. That makes sense that I'm meeting this person now and this person that we have this interconnectedness. Like it's no accident that, you know, my friend Maria is a Minnesota state rep right now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, that uh, as I found myself in community with the uh, people in the neighborhood at 38th in Chicago where he passed and um, have come to know his family and um, uh, been, uh, I hope, you know, of support to them, of people in, in the community and an amazing protest that has occurred and is still going for three years that has allowed that uh, place where he took his last breaths to remain a sacred site mm-hmm. that people from the community uh, decided, you know what, we're going to gather every day. They still do twice a day. They have a morning meeting and an evening meeting. They know each other's names and they have uh, kept that space sacred and uh, went so far as to knock on the doors of their neighbors and find out what does justice look like to you? And they came up with 24 demands that represent the, the desires of the people who actually live and own property 
or rent, you know, in that community and expose yeah. a number of, of, of grievances. Um, during that time, it also uh, became clear to me that there's all these other families. So people uh, who visit George Floyd Square right now, um, you, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go see George Floyd's memorial. Well, it's still there. And um, my friend Janelle Austin and a handful of caretakers have uh, preserved and taken care of everything that's been left at that memorial. And they actually have an, uh, a growing archive of, I think, of over 400 pieces of protest art, uh, candles, figurines, children's drawings uh, that have been left there. And she, along with the family, uh, have started a, a nonprofit. And so the thing that you will find out if you come and visit yeah. is that it's not only George Floyd's memorial. There are other people who've been um, killed at that intersection and in that community, but also throughout the Twin Cities and around the country whose names mm. are um, present at uh, this area that we refer to as George Floyd Square. And so it's so a living memorial. It's a living to... memorial. And the wild thing about, you know, the May 25th, being so jarring is that weeks before uh, the families and activists who had been uh, working with, but also holding the state of Minnesota accountable, um, there had been fatal encounter research. There was a working group with um, scholars at uh, University of Minnesota and other places in the Twin Cities, the attorney general, uh, uh, as well as um uh, I think it's a Department of, of, of Public Safety. There was actual work and research being done around how to prevent fatal encounters and what needed to be done. And there were families already speaking up about how even in those findings and the proposed actions that needed to be taken were, were still not enough. But what's really painful is that uh, even after Big Floyd's murder, We've had multiple uh, people who've been killed by police in uh, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, in St. Paul, and in Minneapolis since then. And so the way that being in such close proximity to my own grief, but the grief of these families, these mothers, um, these significant others, these children who've lost their uh, family members in this way, um, and to be present uh, and support and hold hands and hold people's babies and hold their purses or, or whatever it is. Um, and to do that, I think I've done that pretty quietly. So you're like one of the first times I'm really talking wow. about that um, in, a, in a public way. Um, but understanding that for me, um, how I think I've held community has been really, really quiet and um, really deliberate to to have a, a reasonable distance between like my public self as an artist and my private self as just a community member and mm -hmm. someone who recognizes um, the grace uh, that uh, this is not what my family is holding, but we're holding right. um, space. space for uh, yeah. the grief of others. Um, creatively in uh, 2021, because uh, at the time, a lot was going on. There was a, the trial for Chauvin, uh, who, who murdered George Floyd, who was uh, convicted of his murder. 
uh, was happening and unfolding in the Twin Cities. And the family had asked me to to help them, you know, produce a day of, of prayer that they wanted to wow. uh, do a call call for prayer. So I, you know, <laughs> brought myself to, you know, to that table. Um, as we were doing that, um, a community member was like shot uh, right outside of the memorial. And so we weren't able to do the in-person event as we'd planned. And so we kind of had to quickly pivot and I produced some videos and some creativity around uh, ways that people around the world could engage and, and help support them with prayer during the, um, during the trial. Um, in the midst of the trial, um, Dante Wright was killed in Brooklyn Center. And so um, a memorial uh, soon because of uh, the amazing caretakers and folks at George Floyd Square who had been part of um, the autonomous zone and the protests there supported bringing artwork uh, to Brooklyn Center to the place where Dante Wright was killed. Um, I volunteered with other women in our community at um, his funeral. Um, Does Black Poets speak out? Do you do something every year for so at George this, Floyd? At this point, I um, the last thing I did that was, you know, formally Black Poets Speak Out was um, Philando Castile 2016. Oh, okay. So at this point, um, <laughs> it's not just like a hashtag, you know, uh, not that, if that that was not to minimize what we were doing, but that's, I guess, would be what I learned or what the shift was. So it went from mm-hmm. um, being an observer, right, or holding space in the in the community for the people who knew Philando directly mm-hmm. and, you know, using art as protest. Uh, whereas I think for this season, um, it, it was um, just holding space in my human uh, being. And then as the family and the community asked me, um, bringing the creative gifts or talents and resources that I had to the table, um, but still doing that in a very kind of um, quiet way, you know, um, as a producer, as a creative director, and not being out there and just kind of doing the work and helping other people tell their own stories is really um, the shift that happened that was really important for me to be given right. an opportunity to support other people in having a platform for their own voice. I f- can't help but think that the only way that one, meaning you or one, would be able to do something like that, to hold this amount of space for this community um, and the grief and the loss that that they're feeling and to be in 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 communion with them in the center of it all. I can't help but think of, of it being almost full circle from, from the beginning of your, um, Kundalini yoga experience and then moving on to losing your uncle and having that experience and then moving into the meditative portion and by clearing that space for yourself, then you're able to be there for others. Also in an, you know, in an artistic way, but as a presence, as a community member, as a woman, as a black woman, as a human being, and be able to provide space for them. And that takes a very special being because you have to clear almost your own stuff out of the way in order to be there 
in full and fully present for somebody else's grief. I think all too often we shy away from being there for others in their in their grief not because we don't care but because we haven't taken the time um or we're for whatever reason I, I have no idea and I don't quite know where I'm going with this but we we don't know how we're not taught so to have that experience sort of brought to you from another realm and I think it's really magical. And then to listen to it, right? So I think sometimes we're given those opportunities, but maybe we're not ready to to hear it at the time. But you were ready, and now you get to be there in such a huge way, but a small way, mm-hmm. <laughs> a quiet way mm-hmm. for this community. Well, I had no idea. And I thank you for sharing all of that. That's like, if we took breaks, I would say, we will be right back. <laughs> But we don't take breaks. <laughs> yeah. We we should though in life, right? We have to take breaks from these, you know, super, super heavy things. But yeah, um yeah. I'm sure, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now, you know, um, there's just so much that I've seen, I've lived through, I've witnessed, um, that it's still too close and too soon really to talk about because mm-hmm. um, you know, these well, you're issues in it right now. I'm in it and um these issues are still kind of uh pressing on our community and there's so much grief and so many families still seeking justice, begging for their stories to be more well known. And um, I am really proud of um, all of the people. So just as I'm holding this space or, or doing my part, there are people who uh, for whom I think, you know, we all understand the assignment, so to speak. And so there's some people for whom this assignment is day in and day out with this grief because it's their own grief as as a, as a family who's been through this or, um, you know, the folks at the core of ongoing protests at 38th in Chicago, like this is their community. Yeah. Um, <sighs> this is their community. I, I don't live in that neighborhood. So I am a, you know, a supportive ally, right? A helper um, to the extent that I can, but it is their community. These are their streets. This is their um, vision of what they want um, their future to be. And so what I will say is um, I'm humbled and grateful for the people who have understood the assignment that this is their moment where they are very publicly doing this work under extreme pressure and stress with minimal and limited resources, with trauma that has not allowed them a single day's rest since uh, May 25th, 2020. And so I think I'm, I'm just grateful to have been present and had been introduced to uh, women who are in touch with sort of their divine mission or calling and, and to have encountered and been given opportunity to work alongside, (laughs) um, people who are high integrity and high in understanding purpose and commitment to, um, the mission before them and seeing that kind of passion and heart play out in different skill sets. So I'm an artist, (laughs) you know, um, but to see it in a, you know, a military veteran 
Phoebe's you know, right. in a nurse and this mother. This episode was directed um, by Robin Lai and recorded uh, by Michael Bader. Justice activist, girl from the community, <laughs> you know, like yeah. girl of the neighborhood, the photographer. And it's been probably one of the most beautiful experiences in my life, even though it's among the most traumatic in my life. To have found myself living kind of in a historic moment in the same way, like you said, the full circle that, you know, I'm, I'm 16 and I'm playing, <laughs> you know, a SNCC worker in Mississippi in 1964. And this young person, you know, showing up in the moment uh, that was um, happening at that time in Mississippi and to just be here in the Twin Cities at a time uh, such as this, that, that we know will be historic. Um, yeah, historic, and, absolutely. And how we move and what we do will definitely have an impact on mm -hmm. uh, life for people in our state, but also mm -hmm. in our country, you know, 50 years from now. For sure. How do you think it will affect you moving forward as an artist and a filmmaker? I think that's an amazing question. I think at the time how it impacted me um, in 2020 is that I came to understand it was really interesting how different artists locally in the Twin Cities responded. You know, mm -hmm. some picked up cameras and um, were just documenting everything and filming. Sure. And um, while there were, you know, African-Americans, um, you know, documenting what was happening on their cell phones or, you know, formally as photographers and, and um, street artists who made murals and, 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 and did amazing things um, for me, and many other Black artists, filmmakers, and, and performers, you know, we were in triage. Like, mm -hmm. we, I, the last thing I'm going to grab is my camera right now. You know, they've burned down the grocery store. There's elders. It's hot. It's summertime. There's elders who need fans and waters. You know, like, we're passing the same $25 to $100 around the community you know, uh, yeah. over and over again. And um, that's not where my head was. Um, of it was in, you know, survival. helping and survival. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to know the community at George Floyd Square and kind of come to understand what was what was happening and what was unfolding in terms of, of the protest and what was at stake, um, I understood that my role was to support others in telling their own stories. So I had spent over 10 years making Through the Banks of the Red Cedar, my film about my dad and, yeah. you know, the desegregation of college football. I was in um, kind of the final stretch of edits in writing my book um, by the same name. And so when I saw how and where I was invited into community um, as an artist to, to, to share my gifts, and that's kind of a mantra of the square, it's bring your gifts to the square. Wow. And as I did that, it was clear to me that my role here isn't to document or tell, um, you know, um, Aunt Angela, we call her Miss Angela, uh, George Floyd's aunt who lives in Minnesota. My role in that moment wasn't to um, tell or document her story or uh, my friend Janelle Austin, um, who's a lead caretaker at George Floyd Square and now the um, executive director of George Floyd Global Memorial. Um, or um, the Wright family, you know, um, who had this horrible, uh, you know, event happen to them while the trial was happening. Um, and 
uh, it was just really clear that that my role right now is to serve, to hold space, but mm-hmm. also um, show up with my gifts, you know, where they're needed. And so um, one thing that was like super fun and, and cool and important is in 2021, um, we executed the vision of Angela Harrelson, which was how she wanted to spend um, the, the death anniversary, the, the um, May 25th, 2021. Um, it was that her vision is she wanted it to be because George Floyd Square had really become a gathering space and a really uh-huh. beautiful space that unless you're really from there or understand what it was like during that time, um, you'd be like, what is this? But it was like, I can't even describe how beautiful it was. Um, it would be like, you know, a, a, a family reunion, but then like a block party. But this would be like any given day that, that a wow. space that would have had something so tragic happen would just become a place where Girl Scouts would come and perform or, you know, an a- activist would uh, come and, and, and share protest um, poetry. And, and it had just become this gathering space. So her vision was, I want it to feel like a festival. I want it to be festive, but I also want to acknowledge and honor all these other families who've gone through what our family's gone through, but nobody knows their loved one's names. Hmm. And we want music because they come from this musical family um, that a lot of people don't know. Angela Harrelson is um, George Floyd's mother's sister. So okay. he's, she is his maternal aunt. And um, they all call him Perry. Uh, they grew up calling him Perry and not um, George. Um, and so that was her vision for the day and for, for how she wanted to spend the commemoration. And we were, you know, trying to figure out, like, well, what do we call this? And I'm like, you know, like, we got to, you know, acknowledge the uprising and this protest and this community, which was also really important for her. She understood that there wouldn't be a memorial if there if it wasn't for that protest and for this community right. who's held this space as sacred. Um, so it became, you know, rise and remember. And um, now it's become this annual event. Um, the first year uh, we got a call from Common uh Wow. who was like, you know, I want to come to Minneapolis. And we created a, a show to kind of rise to meet him. Um, mm-hmm. And so it became like, you know, a whole live concert <laughs> with, you know, Sounds of Blackness as our headliner. Um, my friend Maria Isa, who I keep mentioning, yeah. um, she performed a, a special bomba tri- tribute that she wrote for him. Um, everyone who was part of that first year had a direct connection to the community or a direct connection to, to Big Floyd. Uh, his family members performed. And it was uh, truly the most beautiful thing that I think I've ever been a part of and ever been blessed to <laughs> exhaust myself for, for this community right. who had, I mean, Heather, they were out there in negative temperatures protecting the memorial. And navigating how to consider uh, ways to navigate public safety. Right. At um, the same time. At the same time that we're different than uh, calling the police, right? And and trying to figure out in a a living way, what does community look like? How, how, Mm -hmm. How do we make sure we know our neighbors and know what's going on? And to have that happen, (laughs) to do that in an autonomous zone. And when I say autonomous zone, our only security really was each other. Each other. And people in the community. 
um, who kept each other safe. And thousands of people were there and not a hair on anyone's head was touched. And we had this very beautiful, emotional, um, healing and important and significant thing that just like literally everyday people pulled off in concert, in unity, because of the suffering that our community had gone through a year prior, because of the Mm -hmm. suffering that George Floyd's loved ones and um, family members had gone through. And to use that as a day to honor him, but also to honor all of the uh, faceless, nameless folks in the Twin Cities who who share that grief, who share that common um, experience of having lost a loved one to this level of um, violence uh, was just like so amazing. And to just be able, uh, especially if we talk full circle, um, to to go from, you know, the girl who's just like, why am I auditioning for this? I don't want to be in this. Um, the, the commercial I was edited out of, by the way, was um, a Jurgens commercial and we were in bathing suits on the beach. And so I think I was so uncomfortable that I was probably like my body language. Like, that's why I was edited out because they're like, <laughs> you're going to run into the ocean and throw off your sarong. And I was like the last to like release my sarong <laughs> in the water, you know, in the water. So to go from that girl to what feels 100 percent accurate and right and righteous about how I'm supposed to be using my gifts and embodied and, and embodied um, mm-hmm. in this way and to witness and share with um, passionate, you know, self-sacrificing people um, to do this really important thing that we all really needed to see have happen and to have success in um, with that first rise and remember in 2021. It's like, um, I could not have done that. I wouldn't dare have done something that, you know, was was kind of, I mean, not kind of dangerous. It was very dangerous. Like there were shots fired the morning of the event and um, no one was injured to our knowledge. Um, and we stayed, everybody stayed and, and, and oh, the show yeah. went on and, and, and it was, you know, a, a great success. And I don't think I could have ever or would have ever kind of put myself in that situation. But when you have that awareness um, within you of your sort of divine sense of safety, and you actually have the trust around you that we all have the same um, stakes right here, but we're going to hold each other and we're going to do this and we're going to be victorious. It's like um, a, a way of moving where you just kind of have this peace that we understood the assignment. We understood how dangerous it could be and how many people didn't want to see um, the event be a success and and to see all this peace and harmony in a place that, um, you know, had <laughs> been uh, the, the place where people left and then went, you know, the, the protests ended up at the precinct that later burned down, you know. So for us to kind of transform all of the trauma that had happened to us was possible because of everybody's kind of being embodied and plugged into um, a connection to one another. And for mm-hmm. me, a connection to a, a divine purpose. Yes. I'm speechless. That's absolutely beautiful. Heartbreakingly beautiful, but powerful also. I mean, Mm. art in general is 
healing, right? You, you do, we understand that it's also art is protest, right? Mm -hmm. Art is communication. I don't know. I'm, I'm absolutely blown away. I'm going to get emotional. (laughs) I am so incredibly just like, talk about full circle. I'm so incredibly um, blown away by the timing Mm -hmm. of you and I reconnecting and learning all about this because Yes, I I did see a live when everything was happening. I was we follow each other on Instagram and I was I think I reached out and I was like, yeah, I'm 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 watching. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But all of the work that you just talked about, all of the work in community, all of the work with that mem- living memorial and what you were a part of, are a part of you have kept it very quiet. So I am, I'm, I'm so honored. And I know that people throw that word around a lot, but I'm, I'm moved. And I think it feels so right to have reconnected with you at this point in our lives. And I just like, I'm so moved and I'm so incredibly just blown away by your story, right? And what you are bringing to your community in a fully embodied way. Thank you so much for being here today and like sitting here and talking with me about all of this. I think I'm forever changed. Thank you. And thank you for being, I did, I didn't know that the conversation was going to go this, this no direction. way, <laughs> um, but I'm grateful for your beautiful heart. Um, oh. and you know, that we were little girls together. I would say we were, we were yeah. children together. Um, both trying to be third bikini girl from yeah, the right. Third bikini girl from the, from the right. You know? Wait, I got to lighten it because I, I did audition. My only bikini audition was actually for Imodium. So, <laughs> so I'm glad that I didn't book that one, <laughs> but I think I had to show my stomach and then like pretend that there was like, I think in the <laughs> actual end of the commercial there, they superimposed like a gorilla walking onto the beach oh and God. was like chasing the person that was like supposed to be the upset stomach. And I didn't book that. <laughs> and oh my gosh, I'm so relieved that I didn't. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so on that note, um, thank you so much for talking with me today. And I, I sincerely hope that our paths cross in the physical space very soon. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the second half of our conversation with Maya Washington. This podcast was created and produced by Heather Corrigan and Robin Lai. We would like to thank our guest, Maya Washington, for joining us today. This episode was directed by Robin Lai with assistance from content editor Neve McAuliffe. Post-production by JMM Latam and mastered by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Boom Integrated and Adrian Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with all of your friends. Thank you.